in your own time before between you and, and Jesus um, engage that um, <clears throat> of what God's doing. I really do sense we're in a season of uh, of God awakening, and uh, there there's uh, dreams that I've had over the years, and one specifically I I kind of live in, but every other day um, of of uh, in my in this dream I was in, I, mean, I was uh, I was I was walking in darkness, and uh, I was like, I can't find my way, can't find my way. Then all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, I, as I, I, I kind of started shaking, I, I woke up. And I realized that uh, what I thought was actually me living my life was me living a life in a dream. And I was awakened, and all of a sudden I realized I was in a cave, and I walked outside the cave, and I looked, and there was this massive castle and, and the Lord just spoke in the moment and said, this is my kingdom. This is the pursuit that I've put you on. But you thought you were living and you were actually asleep. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and let me shine through you. All right. And uh, so, what I, so the, in this, when I heard uh, Bill speaking, if we could, hey, Justin, right behind you, Jason, there's an air conditioner. Kevin's just sweating a storm up here. So um, I think maybe me too. Um, but in this moment, I... I um, you know, I feel like for us, when Bill shared that, is, uh, is there are those of us that we're kind of living in this in this place of darkness, and and the reality is is that um, there's this awakening that God wants to do in our hearts, an awakening to who He is, awakening to things that He's doing, an awakening to the reality of His movement in our life. And so, uh, if you came this morning, you're just like, I feel like I'm lost, or I just I just don't know what's going on. What I would encourage you to do is just, and here's what I can say, you just need to get with Jesus. Take about 30 minutes to an hour and set aside time to be with him and just process and say, God, I feel like I'm in darkness. Would you awaken me to light? Would you reveal the thing in me that's hindering me and allow God to do his thing in you? Because here's the thing. He's come that you might have life. He is the light of life. He's come to shine light into you to bring life. And uh, so if you don't feel like that's where you are, well, good news. He wants to do this. In fact, if he already died and was raised and the work of power that, needs to, that you need has already been done, and you simply need to receive that. All right. Well, let's do this. Um, we're leaving for India, myself and my team, and I want you guys to pray for us this morning. So if our India team will come forward, go not you go ahead and come forward. Take the offering baskets. All of you have it's made it down to you and pass them back down for our tithes and our offerings. If you fill out a Connect card, this would be the time to put that Connect card in, and uh, we would greatly appreciate it. So y'all come right here to the front, okay? And I'm going to work down with you. Uh, this is our team. This is, Gr- uh, this is Graham King, Tiffany Kingsfield. This is Misty Davis and Cy Bagwell. We are, uh, we're actually going with a team from, uh, from Stonebridge Church on the Square of Marietta, and there's about nine of us going. I'm going also. And uh, so we're going. Put that picture back up, Chase, if you can find it, of, uh, of the kids at Karube Home. Uh, there's, um, can you find that? Can you tell who the American is in that? I'm not sure if you can see she's the one white lady in there. This is Tammy. I've known Tammy for about uh, 12 or 13 years. And if you, if you were here when she spoke, I think it was back in January or something like that, you just listened to this powerful message that God was speaking th- through her, telling us stories about the miracles and the miraculous that God has done. All of these kids right here uh, uh, used to be orphans. 
Uh, she found some of them digging through trash cans on the streets. A good by half of them, their parents uh, are in the process of dying of or have died of AIDS. Um, and they were just left alone. And, and you can tell, man, they are definitely not suffering today. And uh, Gopi, the one just to the left of the white, the white chick, um, he actually uh, has been working with YWAM uh, for the last several months and, and came home. He's about 20 years old and like that. And he came home and said, hey, God has called me to minister to, to the Tibetan monks in Tibet. And uh, she said no. And he said, I've already heard from Jesus. And, uh, and so if you're, if you're on her blog, you can go read that. Just the story about Gopi and working. The story of his life is amazing. Incredible brokenness. Incredible difficulties in life. And being set free in power. The light breaking into his darkness. And so we get to go. And here's the deal. When you go to India, work with Karibe Home, you're not going to offer really much of anything. Uh, we're going to go and do some stuff. We're going to go and do Olympics for them because they're out of school. And so it's been broken down to teams, my team. We're all kind of doing stuff on these teams, and we're, our team's going to win. And um, we're going to come and do that. We're going to go and pray. We're going to go and worship. Uh, you know, basically, Tammy would tell you, uh, we're basically, and they kids know this, we're raising up martyrs in India. That's what they're doing. They kids know it. Yes, we're being raised up to go to the, na- to, to the nation, to the nation, and to go and die as we share Jesus. And they know it. They've embraced it. And, uh, and so we're going to go and basically just invest into them. But the reality is this, and this is the thing that you need to pray into. We know in going we will receive more from them than we could ever receive, they could receive from us. And we want to come and bring that back. And, and so what I want you to do as, well, as we're gone, a couple of things and before you pray for us. I want you to continue to pray for our team and just pray that God would move and do his thing through us. Uh, number two, pray that we would receive what we need to receive while we're there. And the most important thing, pray for our families while we're gone. Uh, and y'all can give them a call, you know, bring them food, come and just put to console them because it's going to be hard for to leave, isn't it? And, and, uh, and so just but seriously pray for them, encourage them while we're gone. We greatly appreciate it. So with that, if you'd like to come and pray for us, I encourage you to go ahead and gather around. I'm assuming it's going to be a lot of people so you can kind of just spread out and touch the shoulder of the person next to you. And, uh, and then I'm going to have, my, uh, I'm going to have David um, pray uh, for us. So David, just, you don't need a microphone. Just pray really loud and you get done. And, and so you all go ahead and just go ahead and be released to pray. come to me, you know, we did a, uh, a little um, uh, uh, food pantry at Vintage for about a year, and we moved over here, we kind of did away with, uh, with the food pantry, and, uh, and, and I said, what I want to do is I want to find somebody else who's already doing a food pantry, and let them do it better than us, and we just come alongside and, and help them, you know, I'm just a huge believer in actually being a church in a, a community of churches together, working together, rather than us trying to do everything so we can be better than them at the, at the food pantry, which would be really dumb. So uh, what I decided, so we said, let's do some homework. And we went down and we, there's a church uh, on 92 Northwest Christian Church. You've all seen that. If you're on 92 down there, it's the church like this. And um, they are actually are connected with the Atlanta Food Bank. And uh, they are, I'm just going to read this because I forget. They are basically feeding 160 families a month in our area. Uh, they are basically, they come, I think it's every week, they pay $500 for 2,500 pounds of food from the Atlanta, the Atlanta Food Bank. And so what we've realized is they're actually doing this really well. 
And so we want to come alongside and partner with them in the food bank. And so they named for us just a few things they're going to need help with. Number one, loading and unloading of deliveries. And so uh, they're going to, we're going to get on the schedule figuring out when it's coming in. And we'll, uh, we'll load when we go down there, unload when they come back. Number two, uh, there's specific supplies that aren't provided by the Atlanta Food Bank. Specifically, and listen to this, cereal. Pasta, canned foods, and peanut butter. I'll repeat that. Cereal, pasta, canned foods, and peanut butter, okay? So those are the things that we can come along just automatically. Every Sunday when you come, just bring an extra one of those, and I don't care where you put it. Just put it, and we'll pick it up. And then the third thing, obviously, finances to buy the food. There's monies that they're going to need, and so we can obviously come along and provide that with, provide that for them as we partner with them. So what I'm saying is this. I'm just letting you know what we're doing. We are going to partner with them. Obviously, I'll leave on Friday. When I get back, I'm going to uh, sit down uh, with the people who are in charge along with Graham. He has connections over there. And so we're going to go over there and just partner with them, figure out the best way to get connected. But you can go ahead and start stockpiling these resources now. And, uh, and then when we get back and sit down with them, we'll partner with them. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more exciting as a church than coming along and promoting another church. We want to do what we can to make them look awesome, right? And I just, I'm really excited about this. And if you're not, well, you should be. So... With that, let's launch into the morning, and um, it'll be good. Uh, I, this is my first week being back in a couple of uh, about, this is in a couple of weeks, and um, I'm really excited. I, I, I hope you enjoyed our friends that came for the last two weeks. You know, Martin Icewander came and spoke, and he did this great message, and it was basically saying, "Hey, listen, because of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to go for total victory in the things that God wants to do in His kingdom here on earth. Right? Total victory. If we have His power, His Spirit, then there's nothing that's holding us back." And, and he named some of those things. He said one of the primary ways that we need to go after this is is contending prayer. And all that really means is that we are linking arms with Jesus, who is forever before the throne, according to Hebrews, making intercession for the saints. We're coming alongside, we're linking arms, and we're praying and believing God and going after the things that are on his heart. And then he did this really audacious thing at the end. He basically had all the men stand up or come forward. I don't remember. I don't know what it was. They come forward. All the men had to come forward. And he basically said, men, grow up. And do what you're supposed to do. That's basically, he didn't really say it like that. That's what I'm saying, right? He came forward. He prayed for y'all and said, lead in the areas that you're called to lead in, right? Come and, and lead in this area of prayer and believe God and just and stand up and lead. And it's fantastic. And so Mark did that. And, and now all of you are perfect in that. And the second, then we came back and last week we had our good friends, Jeff and Sherry Maddock. They are urban missionaries in the inner city of Lexington, Kentucky. And they kind of, they came and shared a little bit about their story and, and shared from the prodigal son story. And, you know, if they're, I encourage you again to, to, to Google them and try to find their stuff. If you're, if they're on Facebook. You can, it's Maddock, M-A-D-D-O-C-K and all that kind of stuff. G-E-O-F-F-G-O-F, Maddock. Uh, and they're doing great stuff. Friend them on Facebook and learn about some of the things they're doing and bringing the kingdom in Lexington. Listen, it's one of those things when I'm with them in Lexington, I look what they're doing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, 
that's so far outside of my, my thought process of what it means to bring the kingdom, to be Jesus to our neighbors. And, and it was really challenging. And so I encourage you to kind of connect with them and, and just look at their lives and see what they're doing. I think you'll be really excited about doing that. But as they talk, they talk of the prodigal son. And, they, and they, if you've been in church for, I mean, golly, if you've been in church forever, in any, any time in your life, you've probably heard the prodigal son story. Remember the prodigal son story? It's like if a pastor doesn't know what to preach, he just preaches the prodigal son, right? He's like, well, there was this kid who made a bad decision, and he left his family, and now he's far away from God, and that may be you. Repent, right? And so everybody preaches this message, and, and, we, and we've heard it a thousand times. You can preach it yourselves. You know this message. The story of the prodigal son, this kid who literally said, Dad, I'm going to pretend like you and the rest of the family are dead to me. I want nothing to do with you ever again. Give me my inheritance because I'm out of here. And the father obliges and his son leaves. And we said that there are people like that. You know people like that. And then we said there's a story of the elder son. The elder son honestly is a much better story in church because it really represents about 99% of people sitting in church today. They are self-focused, they are self-absorbed, they're easily offended, and they don't feel like God does enough for them. 99% of Christians sitting in churches today who spend more time getting offended than bringing life. They, get, they spend more time critiquing than they do blessing. Now, you're not like that, I know, right? But it's the story of the elder son. And Jeff talked in, and Jeff named this last week for us. And then he painted the picture of the Father. And as we read the story, we know the Father, that represents God the Father. And God's extravagant love poured out for his prodigal son who has returned. This extravagant love that has all, listen, the extravagant love that has always been available to the elder son, he just wasn't awakened to it. Didn't we just hear that a second ago and Bill's speaking this word out? This love that's already available is simply a matter of receiving it. But elder son is sitting there and he's, he's just antagonistic towards his father, disconnected, right? But the extravagant love of the father poured out anyway. But then they kind of flipped it around. They said, but the reality of the story is that each one of us is actually called to be the father. The message of the, of the prodigal son is ultimately about us becoming like the father and living every day of our lives with an extravagant love of loving the prodigal types and the self-absorbed, self-focused people we just can't stand. Let's be honest. Right. And loving them with extravagance in our passion and compassion. And then we're called then every day to live our lives in the world that we live in. Do you know broken people? Do you know disconnected people? Do you know annoying people in your life? And, he's, and what he was, Jeff was saying and Sherry was saying is that's where we're supposed to be sharing extravagant love as we walk out the four doors every day of our lives, being the father everywhere that we go. And I love that they, they shared, because they shared the story about a broken family. 
Isn't that awesome? Because before I left, I've been, been spending a season talking about families leading up to the launch of our small groups. And, you know, we talked about the, this living in this, the families are messy, right? They're messy, they're hard, all this kind of stuff. But we have to engage and embrace them anyway, blah, blah, blah. And I love that the end of last week, talking about this broken family where, man, you've got this, uh, this prodigal son who's a pain in the neck, and you've got this. This uh, elder son over here is just really annoying, right? And you have the father heart over here is just loving them both and wooing them unto himself all the way. And, and we talk about here being at Vintage, being a family. And being in the context of family and the love of God of, in the context of family. And I love Jesus revealing the picture of this family, specifically a family in brokenness, because I think it is a model and a picture of who we are. As human beings, and I love that because it launches us, launches us into what I believe is the, the ultimate message of Easter. I believe the overarching theme of Easter and the season that we're, that we're moving, in, moving into, moving towards, is ultimately God's desire to put us in a family that will never separate for eternity. It's the Easter is the story of God's family and Jesus doing everything that he can to get all of us into that family. So turn in your Bibles to to John chapter 14. And what I want to do is this. <clears throat> I was sitting there thinking this week, I'm like, God, what is, we're about a month out from Easter. What were you thinking when you were, you know, I'm sure the disciples probably caught Jesus sometimes just kind of daydreaming, right? Just kind of looking off into the distance. And, you know, I just, I just wonder in those moments, because, you know, I, I, you, you do that, right? And you're always deep in thought. And when the disciples are looking at Jesus a month out from, from what Jesus know is coming, I just wonder if he was sitting there. And I, and I had this idea, he's probably sitting there, he's just looking off, and they're going, what's he thinking about? And I'm, my guess is this, at some point, he's looking off in the distance, and he's looking through the cross, right? He's looking through suffering. He knows suffering is about to come. It's inevitable. It's coming. He knows it's coming. So he's looking through the cross to the resurrection, looking through the cross, through difficulty, to, to see the resurrection. And in the resurrection, I believe he's sitting there looking, saying, this is what I'm here for. I'm here in this moment, looking through this difficult moment that's about to come, looking off into the distance, and I see a resurrection where those who have been distant and disconnected and separated from me can now live in intimacy for eternity with me. So John chapter 14, let's read it. Verse 1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Or you trust in God? Well, you can trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you 
have seen him. So let's paint the picture here. John chapter 13, the chapter preceding, the ultimate theme over it is basically this. Jesus looking at the ones that he loves and he's saying, hey, I'm leaving you, right? I'm leaving you. I've told you this again and again and again, but you won't really listen. But this time I'm going to state it very emphatically. I am leaving. And it says, I think we're on verse 26, and where I am going, you cannot follow. And all of a sudden, the disciples have this murmuring moment. What's he talking about? I mean, he said it before, but he really, I think he really means it. I can't believe he's leaving. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And so Peter, being Peter, who always is a spokesperson, he speaks out. He speaks out. And he says, in this very anxious, overwhelmed, just this painful voice in verse 36 of chapter 13. And he says, Lord, where are you going? Lord, where, where are you going? Several years ago, about a year and a half ago, uh, Randall and I went to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the of Karube home with Tammy, right? And we went, and this is going to be a really exciting time, about a week and a half, two weeks out. <clears throat> we're sitting there, and, and, uh, and, and we told our kids that we were going. And one of the most difficult things about us going to India always is having to leave Sarah and Anna Catherine at home because we love them so much, right? And, yes, we trust our parents but not as much as we trust ourselves, right? Because, I mean, it's, just, it's like we're just not sure. When we're really anxious, and so it's like, oh, God, please take care of our children, and, and so in this moment, um, you know, Anna Catherine, she's there and, and, and she's just not happy, right? She's not happy with us. And, and so, so, she, so I grabbed her and I sit her on the, on the bed and I said, and she was just, she was just frustrated. And I said, what's going on? And she and she said, nothing, right? Just kind of sat there, nothing. And I said, well, are you angry? No. Are you frustrated? No, I'm not frustrated, daddy. All right. I'm like, Lord, so I just prayed. I had a good fatherly moment. I actually thought about Jesus in this moment. I'm like, Jesus, what should I do? What's going on? Thought kind of deposited. I said, are you, are you scared? She said, scared of what? And I said, are you scared we won't come home? And her little lip began to quiver, and she just began to weep. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And then she proceeded to say, I'm like, well, tell, what's, what, tell me about it. She's like, well, what if your plane crashes into the ocean and you die? Or what if you get to India and you say they don't have any food and they're poor? And what if you can't find any food and you starve to death? Or what if you find this and there's no water to drink and, and then you're going to die? And the whole theme is I'm going to die, right? And I'm not going to come home. And she's like, and you're going to die. And then who's going to take care of us? We're we left all alone by ourselves. What are we going to do? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's just this moment. She's just so oh, broken. And, and, and what was happening here was the exact same thing that was happening in the life of Peter. Where are you going? We can't make it without you. The first thing we see is Peter's concern. We see Peter's concern at the end of chapter 13. Jesus, you're leaving. You say we can't follow you. What are we going to do? Because, see, in the life of Peter, every single one of his dreams, all of his dreams and all of his aspirations were dependent upon Jesus. And, and there's an, in Scripture, remember that story where, where Jesus gives this really difficult message and says, Hey, if you're going to be my followers, you need to drink my blood and eat my flesh. 
That's not kosher for Jews. I'm just saying, right? If I sat here in the morning and said, I'm going to cut my finger off and come drink my blood and eat my finger. That's just not going to be palatable, right? And you're going to get up and walk away. And Jesus is saying the message. And so then he turns and like thousands of people immediately stood up and walked away. And sitting there now are the disciples. And Jesus looks at them and says, are you too, or are you also going to desert me? Are you going to leave? And then Peter looks at him and says, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, what Peter said was, Jesus, let's be honest. All of our eggs are in the Jesus basket. I've left everything. I've sold everything. Everything now is dependent upon you. And that sounds really bizarre, this whole eating the flesh, drinking the blood thing. hope it's a metaphor, I'm just saying. But we're willing to follow you. All of my eggs are in your basket. And Peter now is having this moment. Because in his heart, he believes in inseparability. That he will never be disconnected from Jesus again. Because he knows that if I'm going to function in the way that I'm called to function and have been functioning in and want to continue functioning in, I need to be connected to you. I can't be separated from you. Inseparability is the heartbeat of Peter. When Jesus looks at him and says, listen, I've got to leave you and you cannot come with me. He's having this moment. Where are you going? Are you leaving me? I can't, but what am I going to do? I can't make it. Are you leaving me all by myself? What I want to say, listen, the heartbeat of Jesus is that every single follower of his, every single person who's in relationship, listen, would live with the heartbeat of Peter's concern. Jesus, inseparability is the only thing. And if I live a life, if I live a day without thinking about Jesus, then something is askew in my life. Because every day I must wake up recognizing I can't be who I'm truly called to be, separated and disconnected from you. Peter was living it out. I can't live disconnected. I must be connected. So then Jesus comes in and and he looks, he hears Peter, and, and then we get into verse 1, and we begin to get a picture in the face of these verses of Jesus' plan, of Jesus' plan. Jesus has a plan, right? He comes in and says, I hear you, Peter. You know, I've got this whole Easter thing coming soon, and you don't know about it, but I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And my plan is about maintaining a relationship. My plan is about looking through the cross. He's not saying it, but that's what he's thinking. He's daydreaming. I'm looking through the cross of the resurrection so that we can live in relationship together. We can live inseparable together, doing life together. And so we see this first thing. We see Jesus' plan and what we find in Jesus' sensitivity. We see his sensitivity. He, he looks and, and, and Jesus acknowledges their concern. But he wants to alleviate their fears. It says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? That's a good fatherly thing to say, hey, don't worry. Basically, the connotation is don't worry because I've got it under control. Right? He wants to alleviate their, he wants to, he wants to recognize their concerns. He wants to take away their fears. Listen, don't be troubled. Don't worry. See, as Anna Catherine, she sat on that, on that bed and she looked at me in the moment. 
I knew after she had just poured her heart out. This is where dad has to shine. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the moment where now I'm like, oh, Jesus, just speak through me, right? Because I don't want to say something stupid. So you know what I did to her? I completely lied to her. I looked at her and I said, I promise you, I'm coming home. My plane's not going to crash. I'm going to have plenty of food to eat and plenty of water to drink. Daddy is coming home. You can trust.